Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years' experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today is a little different as this is one of a three-part series where my good friend Alex Absalom is interviewing me about the small part that Hope Chapel and myself and my friends got to play in the Jesus Revolution. Hope you enjoy it. Well, hi, everyone. Uh, it's Alex Absalom here with Dandelion Resourcing, and I've got a very, very special guest today. So I'm delighted to welcome my friend, Ralph Moore. So welcome, Ralph. Hey, I'm really glad to be here. Just always fun to hang out with you, Alex. It's so good to see you, mate. And the reason, uh, so Ralph and I are friends, and we, we talk stuff like that, but the reason I asked him a while ago now um, to, to do an interview is uh, the movie the um, Jesus Revolution came out, which talks about the Jesus movement, the Jesus people from the beginning of the 1970s. And uh, part of Ralph's story, well, your Ralph's story, which I'm going to let him tell, is um, being deeply impacted, him and his wife Ruby being impacted, and now that planting Hope Chapel, which became, which has become this phenomenal movement of churches and disciple-making. So, um it just felt like you're a guy, Ralph, who was there. You saw a lot of things. You've been deeply impacted by it. So just to kind of hear some of the stories, but also some of the to learn some of the lessons. And also thinking about what are implications for us today, for leaders watching this, particularly younger leaders watching this, and how we can take that forward. So uh, that's the big agenda. Ralph, why don't you just start? Just give us a quick um, overview of who you are, your bio. Um, just give us, for those who don't know you, just to orientate ourselves. Uh, I'm, I'm old, for one thing. I'm, I'm almost 78 years old as we're talking here. And I grew up, uh, I was born at the end of the war, Second World War. So I'm really old. And I grew up in a time that was pretty much like the time the church is going through right now. A time when um, things had been, had church had peaked in 1956. I was 11 years old and gone downhill after that. And we're kind of like we are now. And I was in a seeker-driven church. You would have never used those words, but we had movie stars come and preach in our church. They get saved, and a month later, they're in our church giving their testimony. And as a kid, I'm thinking, what does this guy know that my pastor doesn't? Because he's a brand new Christian, and so I was doubting these things. And um, but discouraged, I, I went to a Bible college that was pretty demoralizing when i got there every they hadn't painted they hadn't done maintenance for a long time they were poor and 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 i was you know irresponsible and young and reactive and but but by the end of one year i was at the point where all my life savings to go to school i was thinking i should just give it all to the missionaries and go in the army because they're getting the job done we're not so that was kind of the backdrop Right. Also, in school, I had read about a movement in the Philippines where uh, there were only two American couples in the Philippines. They ran a Bible school, but as as students would drop out of the school with half an education, quote, they would um, go back to their village 
and they've been discipled. They've discipled others, and pretty soon they're planting little churches. And these guys, and this was shocking in 1965, 66. Mm -hmm. These guys were allowing them to start churches without a full, you know, seminary or Bible college education. And while everybody in the Philippines was pretty much stuck like we were in America, these people were having like 55,000 converts a year. Oh, my uh, goodness point where one one whole island got saved and so i i came up in all of that frustrated the jesus movement which what we called it came along and i remember my sister was in the bible college with me i was probably a junior or a senior by this time and um she went to a love-in in griffith park which was just a big hippie fest and uh, she came home just shocked because she saw two guys strangling this other guy and the violence, you know, really took her out. Well, later on, we found out that it was two undercover cops and somebody was trying to swallow a condom full of heroin or something. And um, but I reacted against it. I thought, you know, and, and, and so here was this conflict. Here's this person who's reacting against the, the stullified church that's so caught up in its programs and yet i reacted against the move of god when it came and i was a youth pastor in a church i did that for seven years in my four years of college and then three years and it it took me all the way through um to my second year out of college and i i remember uh, i was attending azusa pacific trying to get a graduate degree and i dropped out went to a, a local junior college and one, the second day that I was there, I'm walking across the parking lot and Vietnam War is going on and, and there's all these bumper stickers. Another student against the, the war, another mother against the war. And I start seeing bumper stickers, like four or five probably, at Pierce Junior College in the San Fernando Valley that said another student for God. And I, I decided I'm dropping out of school. I'm going to find out what this is all about. I'm going for it. And my first real experience was in a in a Lutheran church in the San Fernando Valley in a home Bible study. And by the way, in those days, if you did a home Bible study, your pastor thought you were a rebel. I mean, we, oh, we you wore a suit and tie. If a woman came to, you know, women went to work in pants suits, that was a big deal. If they came to church in a pants suit, they heard from the pastor. And this wasn't just my church. This was church in general. And so I go to this um this home Bible study with all these kids and, and we're all sitting around on the floor and they're playing guitars. And then the leader comes in and, and he's kind of like a heavy, you know, real authoritarian. And it's like, Oh, I hate this. I, w- I want nothing to do with this. And later on, I ended up in, in a place called Eagle Rock, California, which is a kind of a rundown neighborhood for people. And we were in a Christian coffee shop. And in those days, there were all the, all the young people, in churches were doing coffee shops, but nobody served coffee. It was all soft drinks or whatever. And we're in the basement of this church. And kind of the standard thing was you put, you went to the carpet store and got their used samples and you put carpet squares all over the walls and the floor and Jesus posters and all that. And so I went to this thing and I was very skeptical. But there was a group there called Love Song from a place called Calvary Chapel. Mm -hmm. And the leader, Chuck Gerard, I've, I've gotten to know him as an, you know, a couple old men now. But um, I, I couldn't believe it. It, it, it. They sang really, it was the music fit the generation. It was 
loaded with scripture. It counted. It, it, there was content. Mm. Uh, they were seeing people get off of drugs, which I came up in a Pentecostal background in a time when the Baptists prevailed and, and, and we weren't doing much of the miraculous. And they were seeing the miraculous at Calvary Chapel. And that, that got to me. The other thing, though, that got to me was that there's like maybe 60, 70 kids in this place. And these guys invite everybody over to their house. You know, if you're ever down Costa Mesa way, uh, here's our address. Just come on in for a meal. We just love to have you there. And, and I, that really got me. And so uh, a combination of things happened pastor in our church wanted to do a Sunday school contest. You you get prizes for bringing the most people. And the prizes were like a used car. And wow. you know, if you're an adult, you get six minutes in a grocery store, anything you can get off the shelf. And in and, and our church, we watched our little church of 140 people double in five weeks of this contest. And two weeks later, we're back to 140. Right. And uh, But in the middle of that, I'm pretty desperate. I'm seeing God do these things. And nothing's happening with the kids I'm leading. I can pop a, an event. My 30-person youth group actually will go to over 300 if I do the right event. But then it goes right back to 30 kids. And one girl who identified with Fidel Castro accepted the Lord on the first day of that contest in our giant pizza breakfast. I mean, that's how programmy we were. Okay. Sunday school contest, giant pizza breakfast, all that. And uh, we, I just felt like we've, we can't lose this girl. And she wouldn't come to church on Sundays because she's always out marching for some left-wing cause. And so we begin to disciple her. And we kind of built a little thing where we'll go to the beach on Saturday, and but you got to bring a Bible. And at the end of the day, you got to be able to say, this is what God said to me from the scripture. That was all it was. Hmm. But God's word changes people's lives. And we we saw immense growth. That girl brought 13 people to the Lord in one year. Oh, my. And those people brought another 27 or 28 people to the Lord in that same year. So we were kind of off to the races, uh, getting in trouble a little bit from the church where I worked. They, they, they liked the numbers. They didn't like girls showing up in jeans. Uh, I mean, silly little things. You know, we could throw a big party and throw eggs at each other and little sacks full of flour and do all that. And everything was just fine. But, you know, we have a the, the pastor runs a concert and, and one girl uh, shows up in, in blue jeans and I got called on the carpet. That was the backdrop of all this. And so then we eventually went out and planted the church. And um, fairly soon, we because we were making disciples, it was pretty easy to plant churches. And we went from there and, you know, kind of the rest is, is, is history. We we became the, the little kids on the block in terms of Calvary Chapel and the vineyard. They were the big boys. Uh, vineyard, actually, Ken Gullickson started the first vineyard in, in one of our living rooms. One, a guy named Matt Swaggerty. Um, and, and, but then quickly they grew huge and so did Calvary. And, and so we were kind of left, you know, watching all this, but, but we were involved. We knew those people. They knew us. Uh, we had a thing with Calvary where whoever was doing their concert on Saturday night, they'd pay for the hotel. They'd pay for the airfare. But then they'd, we'd get them on Friday night for our concert. 
And so it, it was just, there were, there were rollicking good times. Um, I, I, there, it was definitely a move of the spirit. That's what I want to say, because it's so easy to try mm. to imitate what you saw in the movie and make a program out of it. And that's really not what it was all about. Mm. Wow. Just some amazing stories there already. So, so um, what do you think it was about that, that time that was so attractive to lost people or people who are outside of church? I think it was, it was two things. It was love and the spirit. Hmm. Um, we were, uh, those of us that were involved in the move were, were had a lot of disdain for organized church. Hmm. So we were looking for new ways of doing things. Uh, we, there was this coffee house culture thing. Hmm. We, you know, I ran pretty much what would look like, I mean, I, 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 I didn't wear, I still wore a suit. Everybody came to church in, in, in jeans and whatever. And I still wore a suit and, and I was still pretty uptight. We had a, a coffee shop in the back of the church that every Saturday night they, they would do this little thing. Well, it actually was a separate church. And Mike and Franny Baldwin led the thing. And if I had half a brain, I would have made it into a church. But instead, it just remained a coffee shop. So we're kind of, you know, caught up in this and, and, and we're, we're being rejected by the churches around. Our church was called Hope Chapel, uh, because we're a bunch of hippies. People called us Dope Chapel. And, you know, there was a lot of drugs there. Um, they called us Hippity Hoppity Hope. We started serving coffee after church, which churches didn't do that in those days. I mean, that's hard for people to believe wow. that. I'd, I grew up in church from 1950 to this is 1971. I had never seen a church where they handed out coffee cups after church. No. Uh, a lot of potlucks, but nothing like this. I mean, so things were very rigid. And wow. and so we're, we're just kind of, we're very reactive. Um, you know, the whole Vietnam era is going on, all that. But one of the things that we're finding is people who come to Jesus are willing to submit to government, at least at that time, very different than today. And, and, and again, it's just, it's, it's love and, and, and the, the spirit of God, the miraculous was uh, really a big, big part of it. And, and the, the miracle primarily was people getting off of drugs. Um, twice I saw, Somebody who was loaded on heroin suddenly becomes sober after somebody prayed for them. Really? I, I always want to reinforce that it was only twice. It wasn't like mm-hmm. we're the miracle hotspot in the community. Well, maybe we were that, but it wasn't that big of a deal anyway. So, But two is better than none. So, Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we saw a lot of softer drugs. Uh, I remember one guy showed up and and he was loaded on what they called reds and 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 beer he's the point he's vomiting on himself right and uh first time i ever felt like i encountered a a demonic influence and uh it's a kind of a long story Uh, there's a guy in our church who was a, a real bad boy and we'd prayed and prayed and and he came to church to punch out the pastor and and a, a guy who looked like the pastor. By this point, I'm I'm in jeans, right? But this other older man in in uh, suit and all that was the assistant pastor. And he met this guy at the door and put a hug on him before the guy could hit him because the guy came there to get his friend off his back. I'm gonna just 
I'm going to punch out the pastor. Wow. And, um, and, and, you know, 20 minutes later, this guy is, is gone demanding. I want to say something here. And, and then, and then he points at, at Will and he goes, I came here to punch out the pastor, but that old man hugged me. He starts crying. And this man was just radically, radically wow. transformed. Well, he was a kind of a wild man, wonderfully wild man. So he's driving down the road in Hermosa Beach, California, in a little pickup truck. And he sees a, a, a guy with a sea bag, like a, with a sailor's hat at the time, over his shoulder. And he said that, that the Lord told him to go give the guy a ride. So he pulls over the curb. He tells the guy, Jesus told me to give you a ride. Tell me where you're going and get in the truck. And and the guy's just kind of, he's kind of half loaded. No, man, no, I'm fine, whatever. And so Rick takes his bag, throws it in the back of the truck, opens the door and says, get in. And he's kind of menacing guy. So the guy gets in the car and, and Rick whips out a little uh, tract. We were handing out little cartoon tracks. Yeah. They had a little label on the back with actually my phone number at home and an address of our church. And um, so Rick hands him the track and goes, so where are you going? And I want to take you there. And the guy goes, I'm going right over there. And it was like a hundred feet away. <laughs> so he drove him over there. So this guy, his name was Chris. And he, he ended up in Washington state. He was hitchhiking all over the place. And and he's in a in a rainstorm. He found shelter in a barn, and he read the track, and yeah. he remembered it. Yeah. So this is, months have gone by, and he 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 uh, is back in Southern California. He's drunk. He's loaded on reds. He's vomited on himself, and he opens the door of our church. And there was a little discipleship group going on there, were four or five of us. Yeah. And we said, "Come on in, brother." You know, that was kind of the whole deal that you did, and. And he goes, no, I'm not ready for that. And, um, but eventually he, he came in the door and he had a, a, a record. And I remember there was, it was something to do with Satan, uh, an LP record album he was carrying. And so, you know, we're all amped up and we're really into like four spiritual laws and stuff like that. And so we take him through the whole little deal and we, and he, he he's obviously loaded but he's falling with us. And it gets to the point where, would you like to pray and ask Jesus into your life? And he starts going crazy. And he, he, he starts make, moving his hands all around going, I don't want to burn, man. You know, I, he, and he's just making these crazy sounds and everything. So three different times we took him through that track and he would, he would be cognizant. And then he'd go nuts hmm. as soon as you want to pray. So now I'm thinking, this is probably demonic and I'm afraid of this. I don't know what to do. And so I, I, I just kind of, I didn't want to embarrass myself. I, you know, I'm a very self-conscious person. And so I go, um, you know, I think maybe there's a spiritual force that's keeping you from being able to pray. Could I have your permission to tell that force it had to leave you alone? And he, and he said, yeah, man. And so um, I prayed this funky little prayer to the Lord and then turned to the spirit and addressed it and said, in Jesus name, you have to leave. And the guy prayed with us. Wow. And I mean, he was an instantly was sober and wow. instantly involved in the church and bringing people to Christ. And about that was in probably April or May in August, he'd, he would volunteer to work in a youth camp 
And I, I was up there speaking. I gave him a ride home. The previous October, somebody had broken into our church and stolen, because we didn't take offerings. We had a little box on the wall. Somebody had ripped the box off the wall and stolen all the, the money that was in there. And some lady uh, mailed the checks. The guy had thrown the checks in the in the gutter. And she mailed the checks to us and said her junior high boy had found them. And she didn't want to implicate her son like he was the thief. And so right. she's not going to tell us who he was. So um, I'm driving this guy home from camp. And he goes, uh, do you remember last Halloween, um, somebody broke into the church? And I go, it was you. <laughs> He's all repentant. Oh. We had prayed that that person who did this, and this, we were pretty, in a way, naive, in a wonderfully healthy way, naive. We yeah. prayed after that burglary, whoever did this, that they would come to the Lord in our church and that they would confess what they had done to us. And that's exactly what happened with this guy, Chris. So those are the kinds of things that we were experiencing. And uh, it, it was a very delightful time. So it's it wasn't genuine, always easy, but it was delightful. Yeah. So it's a genuine move of God. You're seeing the spirit do things in people's lives and bring conviction and challenge and change. You're seeing miraculous things happen you're seeing you know you've talked about deliverance you've talked about some healings so so but also you know there's opposition there's I imagine it was very messy at times um and you know late nights and not much fruit and sometimes and other times amazing things so talk I'd be intrigued to know how um how were people discipled in that space you've already started to talk about that a bit you've talked about the importance of scripture and and gathering but just just give us a bit more on that because i know that's obviously for that folks who don't know you ralph that's been a major theme of you you're you know you've written a lot on discipleship fantastic stuff but so i'm wanting for some of that roots come back to this time well again i want to go back to my childhood just briefly i grew up in a sunday school big church biggest church in oregon um biggest church in our denomination that i was part of we used um really it was gospel light sunday school materials but it was really like campus crusade for christ or navigators fill in the blanks books i I actually believe that they they just probably um white labeled navigator stuff and so i grew up and and i'm the only kid that i ever knew in a church of you know 1500 people uh which was a mega church at the time i'm the only kid i ever knew whose father made him fill in those blanks from age six till I graduate from high school. And that includes my brother and sister who were never asked to do it. But I feel I look back and go, that was God preparing me for ministry. Right. And so um, that was our culture. So I come at discipleship. And when I was in the youth group, the girl that we discipled, all that, we, we got off of it by just bring your Bible and tell us what you read. And then we pray together. But then, you know, you revert to, to, to form. And we, as soon as we started the church, we're back to doing navigator, actually navigator studies. And then uh, is an interesting thing. Two groups of people, little clusters of hippies ended up in our church. One guy, Virgil Hemrick, brought a group that were into bikes and dirt bikes and stuff like that. And then there was another guy, Richard Agozino, who came in with about 30 people. And so, 
suddenly, you know, there, there's like, I'm having to deal with, there's several pastors in this church and I'm just one of them and, and, and how to negotiate that whole thing and how do we get along with each other. But all of us had navigator culture. And so we were doing that. And then we begin to realize this isn't really cutting it. You know, we, we, we got into uh, the Calvary Chapel model was, was Bible studies. Everybody's doing a Bible study. And, um, and, and but there was like, you know, you, you're the plumber or the engineer and you come home from work and you have to prepare a little sermon to deliver on Wednesday night to right. a group of people. And, and so just over time, and I can't really pin down when it happened, but I began to revert back to in my own disciple making efforts. I guess I can. There was a, a group of young guys. One one guy became a he went to seminary and we lost him. He 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 was all set to go into ministry. He ended up being a high school principal. Uh, we found that happened several times where we'd send them to seminary or a Bible college, and they get so busy with their studies they'd stop doing ministry in the church, and that shaped us a lot. But uh, one guy uh, eventually did plant a church. He started a, a ministry to handicapped boys and girls. But I was discipling these guys using nav materials, and they just weren't getting it. And so we started to just assign we're going to read through Romans or we're going to read through Ephesians, whatever. And we'd, and we'd go kind of verse by verse because I was teaching verse by verse from church. And and then the, the, the questions always were, what did the spirit say to you and what are you going to do as a result? And then we pray together hmm. and that, that became the model, especially after we moved to Hawaii, that we kind of codified it. And that became the model that, that produced a lot of uh, fruit, a lot of ministry. We, it was pretty easy to start a group because it, it, you know, we, we modified the model from uh, what did you read in the Bible this week to what was said on the weekend in the pulpit and what you know what are you going to what did you hear the spirit say not what did you hear the pastor say mm. what are you going to do and and how can we pray with you and you begin to see leaders emerge you get in two people together in a room and and one will dominate the other so we we start to realize who's doing the zoo and and then you know we just go from there we plant churches <laughs> i love the way the casual and oh and then we planted churches um i'm not going to see that right now if you enjoyed today's podcast be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmore.net